Welcome back to New Rockstars, I'm Eric Voss, and Rick and Morty's hilarious season 4 premiere just gave us the show's closest ever look, kinda, at time meddling? Well, kinda. I guess knowing the future and responding to it is a type of time meddling. I just call making weekend plans with friends time meddling, and that's probably why I never have weekend plans. Or friends. Anyway, welcome to Rick'splained. It's our official Rick and Morty after show that aims to trigger you with Rick puns and adding the splained suffix to everything. Also to overanalyze the crap out of each episode of Rick and Morty to give you hot takes for Reddit upvotes, regardless of what your IQ is. We have invited Rick and Morty writer and community Abed Inspiration, Abed Gaith, on the show to chat about this season 4 premiere in a bit. Also, we have a separate breakdown of all the animation details and Easter eggs in this episode coming out shortly after this episode. But first, here is my quick Rick'splanation for the deeper agenda of the season four, episode one, Edge of Tomorty, Rick Die, Rick Pete. Its title nods to the 2014 Tom Cruise film, Edge of Tomorrow, Live, Die, Repeat. A time loop story set during a war against aliens in which time resets every time Cruise dies. It's amazing. It's kind of like Groundhog Day meets Independence Day. It's based on the graphic novel, All You Need Is Kill. I believe that the deeper agenda of this season four premiere was to tread dangerously close to the forbidden fruit of Rick and Morty since the very beginning, time travel or time manipulation. All to reinforce the series' darker truth that no matter what Morty does, his relationship with Rick means he is fucked. In this episode, Morty and Rick gather death crystals, which allow one to see into the future at all the various ways that he can die. For Morty, one of those alternate deaths seems to depict him growing old with Jessica. So he uses the crystal as a kind of compass to guide each step of his life along that vector, which ends up turning him into a destructive monster. The death time loop structure of this episode is actually in a B story. Rick dies, Morty refuses to respawn him, and so Rick's consciousness instead respawns in alternate realities, most of them fascist. The resets parallel Tom Cruise's deaths and resets, as well as the loops that we saw on Groundhog Day, Happy Death Day, the show Russian Doll. It's like kind of a thing now. Now, for some Rick and Morty purists, you could see this as walking the line against the series' long-held rule against time travel. Rick and Morty is a show that expands horizontally across infinite dimensions, not vertically forward or backward upon a single timeline axis. Series creators Justin Roiland and Dan Harmon have stated that time travel is an overdone trope in sci-fi, and they are totally right. Even the MC you couldn't help themselves. Now, a time loop isn't the same thing as time travel, but I would argue a character having foresight of their destiny and planning out their actions accordingly is the same kind of narrative bubble as the ones of time travel stories. A mere suggestion that Morty has a destiny that he can steer toward or away from is an acknowledgement of the same kind of limits that time travel as a plot device traps storytellers into. We now know Morty has a future. Well, infinite futures, sure, but in this episode, his gaze shifted from horizontally to vertically, with the same kind of obsession with his future that heroes like Marty McFly and Doctor Strange do. And if you really want to get English lit major about this, Morty in Edge of Tomorty is really the Greek mythical character Oedipus. Nope, not because he wants to kill Jerry and marry Beth. Well, maybe that's true. I guess we'll see. But really, the story of Oedipus is a tragedy about fate and foresight. An oracle tells Oedipus that he is destined to kill his father and marry his mother. That prophecy becomes an obsession for Oedipus. He flees his home and the people he thinks are his parents. But that fear ironically led him directly to kill a man who ended up being his real dad and marry a woman who ended up being his real mother. Now we've seen this kind of tragedy over and over again in stories. There's the famous appointment in Samara fable in which a man's fear of death leads him to flee, ironically, 
exactly to the place he's fated to meet death. In these kind of stories, the knowledge of the future becomes its own death curse. So the moral is to live in the present. A warning Rick states at the beginning of this episode. People that spend their life avoiding death are already dead. But Morty isn't paying attention to that moment, so he ends up repeating the moral at the end of the episode. I guess I gotta learn how to live in the moment a little more. Oh boy, so you actually learned something today? What is this, full house? I was living in the moment all day and it kept getting me killed by Nazis. I think you have to think ahead and live in the moment. Yeah, Rick's rebuttal reminds us that no matter what Morty learns, the world of Rick and Morty is a cruel, chaotic, godless one. No hard-earned life lesson will save you. Unlike on Full House, in which somehow each episode they escape death by the Olsen clones. Of Morty's infinite deaths, the animators snuck in there. All of them were violent and painful. The one peaceful one Morty strived toward with Jessica, we learned in the post credit scene, was actually a lie. Future Jessica is simply a hospice worker. In this future, Morty still dies alone, with his childhood crush at his side, but not out of any romantic love for him. It's a cruel joke, lambs to the cosmic slaughter and all that. Edge of Morty still doesn't open that Pandora's box of time travel stuff forever untouched on Rick's shelf, actually as we learn in this episode, in every dimension. And this episode's time loop structure diverges from Edge of Tomorrow and Groundhog Day in one key way. This ends unhappily for the hero. Morty's foresight doesn't free him, it only traps him in a tunnel toward one of infinite horrible fates. But hey, that's just my explanation. What about the people who have actually been in the belly of the beast of the Rick and Morty writer's room? I've invited former Rick and Morty writer Abed Gaith to chat about this episode right after a message from our sponsors. Support for Rick Explain comes from Manscaped, the best in men's below the belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels. Jingle balls to the walls, fellas, listen up. Untrimmed pubes are a thing of the past. It's time to gear up and get yourself the gift of shaving this holiday season. I'm talking about the Manscaped Perfect Package 2.0. Snagging some skin while shaving downstairs? Whew will turn any reindeer's nose red. That's why Manscaped has redesigned the electric trimmer. Their Lawnmower 2.0 has proprietary advanced skin safe technology, so this trimmer won't nick or snag your nuts. It's also waterproof, so you can use it in the shower. This Lawnmower 2.0 comes inside their Perfect Package 2.0, which makes for the perfect gift this holiday season. It's literally everything you need to keep trimmed, cut free, and smelling nice down there. And don't use the same trimmer on your face as you're using on your balls. It's just nasty. That'll get you on the naughty list. The Manscaped Perfect Package 2.0 also includes the Crop Preserver and the Crop Reviver to keep your balls from sweating, smelling, and sticking. And these products smell good. Their manly scent is attractive and will help set the mood, if you know what I mean. The Perfect Package will also come with a pair of Manscaped boxer briefs that'll keep your junk feeling fresh all day. It's time to upgrade those overused pair of boxers to Manscaped high-performance anti-chafing boxer briefs. Tis the season to Manscaped, so get yourself, your dad, your brother, and friends the best gift of all. The Manscaped Perfect Package 2.0. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code RICKSP at manscaped.com your balls will thank you also guys have you ever been stuck in the awkward experience of having to buy cologne for yourself wandering the aisles at a macy's or sephora still wearing that polo your grandma bought you like four christmases ago dousing your nostrils until everything smells like burning smelling good is important and that's why i love hawthorne instead of smelling a bunch of scents in a store until they all smell the same hawthorne has you take a short quiz about your lifestyle and preferences and then they send you two cents one for work one for play they offer this handy quiz I loved it with a scale for BO. It goes from no BO, which is 100% of us, right? 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 To painful BO, which is realistically 100% of all of us. They also have deodorant, shampoo, and body wash. The whole process is easy and convenient. Best of all, it's totally risk free with shipping and free returns. Check out Hawthorne at hawthorne.co. That's Hawthorne with an E, and use my promo code RICK. 
to get 10% off your first purchase. That's H-A-W-T-H-O-R-N-E dot C-O and use my code Rick to get 10% off your purchase. Hawthorne.co. And we're back. Now joining us to discuss the Rick and Morty season four premiere is Rick and Morty writer Abed Gaith. Welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me, guys. Howdy do. Howdy, <laughs> yes. Uh, also joining us is friend of the show, Rick and Morty super fan, and probably trapped in a time loop, though he doesn't know it yet, Tommy Bechtold. Well, uh, earlier this episode, we were talking about how this episode has this time loop plot structure that's based on uh, Live, Die, Repeat and Groundhog Day. Uh, but it also does something that Rick and Morty's never done before and give Morty a semblance of a fate of like a destiny that he's either steering toward or steering away from, which is interesting because the show has its famous no time travel rule. I don't think it necessarily breaks that rule, but it gets closer than it's ever gotten before. Abed, can you tell us like how that rule came about and how it's like guided Rick and Morty over the seasons? I mean, uh, I don't know the official reason, but I mean, as a science fiction kind of nut, I will say that time travel is very like an old hat. It's just been done yeah. so many times. So to make a new, to make a sci-fi show and use it feels like an old trope. Yeah. That you're just sort of rehashing old ideas. Yeah, we were talking before the show about how like even the Marvel Cinematic Universe is like, okay, I guess we'll do time travel too as a way to to explain things and uh, you know as it's, it's like the writing uh the alarm clock waking you up from a bad dream when you're a kid writing short fiction when you do like creative writing and you're like i don't know how to end this so you just go eh, eh, eh. i woke up and it was my alarm clock and it was all a dream and then your teacher tells you not to do that and then you repeat seventh grade i'm sure we've all had that experience <laughs> that's what time travel you just you had to get held back and you just justify it by saying yeah, that you're in a loop the biggest kid so being the biggest kid two years in a row not good for your ego <laughs> well i had that but with underwear on ah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. i mean like i think it's great that rick and morty avoids like time travel i like uh, part of my soul will break if they ever do that but i love that they're willing to let themselves do time loops and like understanding of one's destiny and whether or not you want to move toward that or away from it. Are there other like time travel-esque plots that we'd probably be okay with Rick and Morty doing if they wanted to explore that? I don't know. I mean, you know what I would think would be very interesting is this like maybe the like final 70th episode. Yeah. They maybe did a time travel episode. Oh, finally. they. Yeah, and and almost in a way to like go, all right, now we're going to do the really cool uh-huh. Thing that we shouldn't have ever done. Yeah, and we'll do it. We're gonna do it. So it seems like it would be a good challenge to make that finally. Yeah, I feel like you guys have an like smart enough uh, science fiction people in the room that you could actually do a time travel story that is both like logical and makes sense, but it's also like entertaining. And the self awareness of that show to me would be able to. Do, they do the best time travel episode because they'd be able to comment on it constantly about how they're doing it differently, or they're or they're selling themselves short or whatever, but or they're copping out by doing it. So there'd be right, a lot right. of I'm sure clever time travel references from many other works of science fiction, which is kind of what is my, one of my favorite parts of the show is that it draws on some of these other things, yeah. but also kind of identifies if they're bullshit or not. So. Right. We were also talking about Lost before this and how like Lost had a version, they had a couple different versions of time travel, which is probably not a great idea, but like one of the ones they had was the whole like uh, Sl- Slaughterhouse-Five notion of like being unstuck in time, like your consciousness is being displaced within the same body throughout its own points in history. Like I feel like Rick and Morty could do a version of that, like, like Rick's, it's not necessarily time travel, it's just your mind is swapping to different points in your own timeline or life. Yeah, that's a very interesting way, because uh, Slaughterhouse-Five is probably like the best time travel book. Yeah. yeah, so like that would be great, but I mean, 
Also, who, who I don't think any fans have read it. <laughs> it's kind of dated. So you probably get away yeah. with it, actually. Yeah, right. That was something that like I read in high school. It like blew my mind. I'm like, why isn't every time travel story Slaughterhouse Five? It's the only one that makes sense. Like you can time travel to your death, and it's just a purple void, and that's that's all that's there. And what a cool name, Slaughterhouse Five. It's like yeah. you think it's like a Jason movie. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. So this episode, we saw one of my favorite gags, the Red Meeseeks. Um, which is just a Kirkland brand Meeseeks uh, that uh, seems kind of lazy or unenthusiastic smoking. And uh, we had Ryan Ridley on a past episode of the show, and he talked about that was apparently like a pitch of his that has been brought up in the room uh, forever and ever, and we're kind of speculating on what Red Meeseeks is, so it was crazy to see it in the episode. Does this set up a potential universe of different colors of Meeseeks the way that like Yoshi's Island had like a red Yoshi, a blue Yoshi, a yellow Yoshi. What I, would I, other colors be? I would hope so because that would be a fantastic episode. Yeah. I, I kept wanting them to revisit Meeseeks. Yeah. Because I'm like, I, I, it's such a great idea that like it, it would just be an amazing episode to like have a whole planet. But I yeah. think Justin's obsessed with Nintendo, so I think that's where that comes from. Oh yeah, his uh yeah Yoshi's Island. I like. I wonder if that would be fascinating just the way they had Tales of the Citadel to have like either a planet or a dimension of Meeseeks that they get like um, like dusted away or like raptured suddenly from whatever they're doing and now they have to be summoned to be this genie in some other world and they brought back and they're like older and tired and traumatized and I'd love to see like if a yellow Meeseeks is like uh, too frenetic or something like that or speaking another language or well, some he'd of them. be afraid, right? He'd be yeah. a coward. Oh, the coward. Yeah. yeah. Cowardly Yellow music. streak down his back. Yeah. Yeah. And green is just all like numbers. Like he's very like right brained and he's the he's a uh, Donatello of the group. Can we talk about Donatello for a bit? <laughs> he's like the best turtle. Yeah, he does machines. Yeah. Yeah. He just does it's like all the other turtles described like he does machines. Yeah. And he's like, I don't do machines, I build machines. Well not crazy about the stick. Yeah. It's a little bit of a lame uh, Well his weapon has to be basic so his technology can be so advanced. I guess you're right. Yeah. It's either <laughs> I'm sure that was part of the design. You can't twirl it, which is cool. <laughs> which is the zero. Yeah. So he's, he's, we got to go back and watch uh, Ninja Turtles episodes to see what binary code he's been signaling to us the whole time. I don't think they got that deep. It was just like, we got to stop Shredder. Here comes Krang. Shredder. That's pretty much it. Well, you have written on the past interdimensional cable episodes. And it sounds like you were like a big part of like all the pitches and the crazy one-off ideas that were in there. Were there any ideas that just you didn't have time for, or they didn't make it in the episode through the animation process or the VO uh, process? Oh, well, yeah, oh, good God. There's a couple stories. Um, the, during the first season, uh, like, I remember pitching something that was like a, a homeless man who had a steam engine stomach that he had to fill with coal. And so he had to eat a lot of coal. And I mean, I don't know if that was a good idea or not. I just remember Dan like looking at me and he kept questioning the logic of it. Like he kept saying like, so the guy's homeless and what does he do? Like why does he, why does he figure out that he's eat coal? Like there's all these like, he was just like taking it apart bit by bit and analyzing it. I didn't have all the It doesn't fit in the circle. It stops at three. There was like a technical, he wanted it badly. Yeah. But he just needed some kind of logic, and I didn't have it. I was just like, I don't know. I just like the idea of him having a steam engine stomach. It's funny to me. Uh, like, so it was like more just trying to think of a visual, funny thing. Because I'm a big animation fanatic. Yeah, yeah. So I just like to see stuff that looks funny. Sure. You know, so that was kind of my inspiration working on it. 
But uh, there was another thing. I think it's probably animated on like the uh, uh, special features, mm -hmm. but there was one with butthole ice cream, where it was like, um, like you go to yogurt land, you know, and it would just be butts just shooting out like poop. And like, I think Ridley's like, this is disgusting. And Ridley was so, Justin loved it. Justin was like, that's going in the episode. I love it, it's great. Oh my God, it's shooting out poop, I love it. And then Ryan's just like, it makes me sick. You know, yeah. like Ryan just put his foot down. So I think it's animated, but in black and white. So it's not. It wasn't fully finished. Yeah, I got it. Like, and then, uh, well, they might have done like this stop motion thing of it. Yeah. Like Stupid Buddy or something. Yeah, I mean, I we've all thought it. Like Nathan for You's pilot episode was just like the poo flavored froyo, and that's it. Look, every I can't not think about it when I. Turn oh, and uh, oh, this is interesting. Well, I don't know if this is on the commentary or not, but so the hamster and the the you know butts. Yeah, yeah. That whole thing. Uh -huh. Now that was an episode idea. Oh, it's all another. I said they should world. go to a planet where that's those are running around. <laughs> Once again, Dan is like zeroing in on me and saying like, "So are there apartments in there? You know, what does it look like inside? Do they like? Yeah, do yes. they escape? Yeah, are the butts you know, their homes or are those like their clothes or like mecha suits or their cars right. or something? But see. That's what's crazy is the actual episode is that conversation. Uh -huh. Remember? Like, they're all asking questions about oh, Yeah, and that's really, that's based on Dan asking me questions. He's yeah. so fascinated with the butts, like the hamsters and the butts. He, he wants to know all the in and outs. And like, yeah, and I was just like, I don't know. I didn't, I, it's like, that's, it's in my head. I don't know where it came from. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would say Fascist Morty in this episode seems like a nod to the fans. Like, because there's these lines where Rick is asking him to say, well, just tell me something that you like. And he's like, oh, just Mr. Meeseeks. And he says, you will go where I tell you to go. And he's like pining for this good old days of Rick that probably don't exist. And, and then Nazi Morty ends up dying in this episode. Like, do you think this comes from a place of the writers feeling exhausted of the fans trying to have too much control over the direction of the show? I'm sure that it that's a Dan yeah. kind of like feeling more than the other writers. Like, I mean, I think he's he's become a, I mean, I don't like hang out with him every day, so I don't know his state of mind, mm -hmm. but I can imagine it's exhausting yeah. to try to like, to write a show that tops what you've done but then satisfy all these maniacs yeah who are just never satisfied you know right. what i mean like you can't make something you can't please everybody sadly yeah and that show certainly does please a lot of people yeah so i mean he's, do, he's doing fine yeah i'm doing yeah. fine but yeah like i it's most definitely based on that yeah it's crazy how like they're not just doing fine like they had this long wait between season three and season four and like I thought the season four premiere was great. Like McMahon did such a great job on the script, all the animation, like it's packed with jokes. Like it's it's one of my favorite top five uh, episodes of the series. I saw that animatic very early. Yeah. And I seriously thought it was gonna come out later. Yeah. But when it was the first episode, I was like, oh, they're just gonna hit the ground running. Yeah. Yeah. I had to watch it twice because I was so overwhelmed. I was like, I mean, I, I, I loved it. It was very funny, like you said, the jokes, I think for me it was almost harder because there were so many jokes that I was having trouble following the storyline. Yeah. It was like, A, either laughing or trying to figure out why, like, oh, why not, how am I not getting this? And then, so I thought it was a difficult watch in a good way. Like, yeah. It was a complex watch, which is good. It didn't, they, I think they didn't take their fans for granted. They were like, you guys can all jump right back on board. And yeah. Straight and go. And yeah. Like, 
And this is a show that gets watched twice. It gets paused. Yes. People like go back and like go back ten seconds. And for me, it was like anytime they were seeing their futures, and you just see these shards of different futures. I'm like, oh, that's like an alien thing. Oh, that's a T2 thing. And well, wow, I didn't even think of that because I. I was just, there was so much going on that I, I didn't even get to focus on that yeah. crystal. So. There's just so much. And each one of those is like its own separate episode that you could just like imagine Rick and Morty playing out. It's, it's It crazy. was probably all the episodes they tossed aside. Right, yeah. You know, they didn't do. Yeah. They all ended up there. Yeah. Or what, you know, this is actually what sometimes they do is they make sure every artist throws in a different idea. Yeah. You know, so everyone kind of gets their little bit of... Something. It'd be, it'd be like in Coco if they filled the underworld with like other dead ideas of Pixar animated shorts that Tim make it in. That's kind of yeah. amazing. Yeah. Now I, I want to see a cartoon just, just about that. that. Just, <laughs> just about dead versions of Jerry from Jerry's Game. And, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there's a subplot this episode that involved Hollow Rick, the, the hologram version of Rick, and he, uh, he takes pride in his hologram existence until he finally gets a corporeal body from the feral flu and he becomes evil. And and they, they stab him with the wasp pincer, and it goes in his eye, and then the wasps spawn, and they burst his head open. Rick has this great line of, uh, I know there's a lesson here, but I'm not going to be the one to figure it out. So I kind of, I feel like it's our job to figure out what the f*** that means. Like, what does it mean to have a giant hollow Rick whose whole existence is about taking pride in his, like, uh, marginalized existence, uh, but then turns evil and has his head burst open by wasp Ricks. I, I mean, I guess Rick is a monster. Yeah. You know, he's <laughs> yeah. not a good person, and deep inside there's probably nothing. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like, I always don't... I mean, look, I love the show, right? It's a great show. It's better than anything on TV right now, and I'm biased, but I do think Rick is really mean. Yeah. yeah. You know, he's like, he's just like, poor Morty just can never get a break. Yeah. You know what I mean? So and that that's what I think. I think he's just an evil, horrible person. Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's kind of also just, I mean, like one of the things I do like about Rick and Morty, obviously, a lot of people do, is that they do go cynical on mm -hmm. stuff. Like not cynical in a mean way, but they do go, they do kind of expose the kind of like, kind of dark nature of people. And like, to me, this was just kind of a broad thing of like, we all have these friends. We all know these people to get behind these causes, and they get very passionate. And then the opportunity to go another way comes up that's like either more selfishly lucrative financially for them, or pleasure seeking for them. Whether and then they immediately turn their back on the cause that they have. Yeah, so yeah. Like it just shows how corruptible we all can be. Like the second he got the thing that he was yeah. fighting about, uh, having equality to, instead he just got to be the thing that has per is perceived to be better, which is having a, a, an actual form and right. mass body. He immediately abandoned <laughs> his his compassion and his like empathy for people right. and became a monster. It was crazy how fast that happened. Yeah. I think the speed, the moment he got a taste of like oh, have, having flesh, he turned into uh, evil god who on, had to be burst open. Media. There's people where like yeah. all of a sudden they make a they put a tweet out and they'll start getting attacked by people that were on their side before, whether it's a you know a political thing or a cause, and all of a sudden they lash out and become angry and like go against the. You can read their entire timeline before, and it's all sensitivity towards this subject matter and all of a sudden they're super against it you know yeah. like i feel like feminism is a great thing that often happens people men claim to be feminists and then someone someone attacks them for not being a feminist and they start going after women all yeah the time. <laughs> <laughs> like yeah the true feelings come out exactly yeah yeah what was the real motivation it's usually something a little darker and i think yeah. that's what this was it's that's a, a very yeah. good analogy that's better than mine <laughs> I, I don't think so 
No, I mean, that's like... You actually got to work on the show. I'm working on the after. No, but (laughs) I think you're spot on. I really think that really is about just, like, our current state of just maniacs online. I think we... And that's what, like, every episode they could just, like, throw it to us. Throw it to fans to figure out what the hell it means. And then we'll we'll kind of embed it with something. It's It's not not as crazy as David Lynch Lynch, where every person person has a different different opinion. opinion. Yeah, right, right, right. You know, I mean, that's madness. I like David Lynch, but I just think that Rick and Morty's a little bit more yeah. where, where that's, yeah that's this is, this is what's it's going got an agenda yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah 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 well thank you so much for joining us uh, in this episode Abed this has been so great to discuss the season four premiere with you uh, and uh, thanks again to uh, Tommy Bechtold for joining us it was so great to chat about this I really enjoyed this like conversation yeah, yeah it was fun man it was fun yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a, thanks for having me I I, I love talking about this stuff it's very fun awesome awesome yeah uh, well be sure to uh, follow us on um, on social media at Rockstars and if you haven't already subscribe to our Rick Explained podcast feed wherever you get your podcast. You'll get early access to audio versions of everything you're seeing right now or hearing right now if you already are. Thank you for subscribing. Uh, coming soon will be our in-depth breakdown of all like the hidden animation jokes and Easter eggs and all the, the cool little things in the background of the episode. We're still doing those. And we're going to be back next week with our whole explanation of episode two. Uh, and thank you again for joining us. And uh, let's close out with uh, what we thought was a great joke this episode. But first, something Silly? What do you mean, but first, I already said up next, you always do I this. I don't always do shit. Don't gaslight Gaslighting me. doesn't exist. You made it up because you're f***ing crazy. <laughs>